Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Girl, I wanna be your goddamn idol And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard For the same motherfucking title But I A five, six, seven, eight. Dun, 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 dun. That's the wrong movie, but I liked it. Which movie is this? That's a chorus line. I mean, it's a musical, but it's also a movie, but it's I, a chorus line. I, have, I haven't seen a chorus line. God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. I've heard this, yes. Yeah. I've also made you listen to uh, the song that you know is Tits and Ass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all a chorus line. <laughs> Great. So we're not talking about a chorus line today, but we are talking about another movie that deals with dancers and dancing and it's not fame yes and we have not done a dance movie since hairspray i think yeah i think the only like proper dance movies i know that there are lists that come out and every once in a while it'll be like bring it on and it's like that's a cheerleading movie you've dolt they have routines though (laughs) it's not the same but the only like true dance movies we've done have been hairspray and take the lead. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in more dance. There's a lot more dance movies out there. We just haven't done as many of them mm-hmm. yet. But hey, this episode's brought to you by the people who voted on Twitter. Because mm-hmm. this month for scheduling has been a problem. We had some guests that just didn't pan out. And we just had an opening at the end of the month and said, fuck it. We'll just pick three really heavily requested movies from the suggestion box. And you all can decide what we're doing. Yep. Pretty much. That's exactly what happened. It was like, oh, wait, okay. So uh, thanks, strikes, thanks, holidays, thanks, everything making our lives complicated. But hey, here we go. Now we get to talk about Center Stage, and I'm pretty excited about it. Shit rolls downhill onto the little man. (laughs) We're the little man in this equation. We are the little man in this equation. But yeah, we watched a movie. So what did you know about Center Stage? Like, did you even know what this is? Didn't know a diggity dang thing about it. All right. But Vijay, um, you you had strong feelings while we were watching it uh, and were reminiscing a lot. So, mm-hmm. yes, clearly you have history. I do have history. This is another film that falls under the same umbrella as Stick It, another movie that we have talked about, but that's a gymnastics movie about uh, elite training mm-hmm. um, and, and elite systems for artistic athletics. This uh, one's not quite <laughs> as... Um, Female homoerotic? No, 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 no. This one is definitely not nearly as queer. Um, But it did speak very deeply to me as somebody in, you know, an an, an elite baton twirling core. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I doubt I'm ever going to get a baton twirling movie outside of The Majorettes, which is a slasher movie, and there's not really a lot of baton twirling in it. And when there is, it's not very good. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to get that dream, and that's fine. I've accepted that. So I just live vicariously through gymnasts and cheerleaders and dancers. And you know what? Center stage. This is a last resort. Yes, absolutely. Um, so movies like Center Stage just really, they just really hit. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that Center Stage 
came out during kind of a wave of dance movies. And we'll talk a little bit more about that with context. But this is the one that people kind of shit on <laughs> the most, um, which I I get. I get because this is a movie where they cast dancers first. Uh, acting was the secondary skill required here. This is not a movie really about the plot or the acting. No. This is a movie about choreography. This is a movie about choreography. Um, because of the main characters who are dancers, four have professional ballet training. So Amanda Scholl, Ethan Seifel, Sasha Radeski, and Julie Kent. Um, Ilya Kuliak uh, was a professional figure skater. Zoe Saldana, this is her first feature film role. She has ballet training. Um, and then two were actors with no ballet training, which was Susan May Pratt and Shaquem Evans. Uh, they did use body doubles. Many of them were dancers from the New York City Ballet and the American Ballet Theater. Um, and a lot of the people who were actually in those companies would, like, fill the background for, like, you know, class scenes or big numbers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them ended up becoming, like, principal dancers, uh, like Jillian Murphy, Estella Abrera, Jonathan Stafford, Jared Engel, Janie Taylor, and Rebecca Cron. Um, it was choreographed by Susan Stroman. She won an American Choreography Award for it. Like, this movie cares way more about dancing than it does anything else. And I, that's fine by me. Like, I don't care. I'm not watching this movie for some, like, deeply inspiring plot. I'm watching it because I want to watch fucking ballet. I, that, correct. So, in terms of movies that have physicality where that is, a, like, a primary function of them, mm-hmm. this doesn't play that far off from, like, kind of a classic Shaw Brothers film. Right. There's not as much like political intrigue, but there is like some elements of classism and also like some training at like the Shaolin Temple style shit mm-hmm. where it's like, you're never going to be good enough. And then the, you, you tap into your true potential mm-hmm. because you found your own style. Like you became, you know, found the way of the monk and a drunken monkey style or some shit like that. The fact that we are talking about a teen dance movie and you found a way to relate this to the Shaw Brothers and you're absolutely right. This is why I love you. This is why you're my wife. (laughs) Thank you. Well, like, that's the thing with, like, physicality in film, whether this be, you know, fucking I, Tanya, or this be um, The Iron Claw. Mm -hmm. Like, just a movie where, like, physicality is, like, vital to the function of the film. Mm -hmm. They're all intrinsically linked. I agree completely. There is nothing that makes me more just irate than when I watch a movie where somebody is supposed to be doing some sort of very specific physicality, like a dance, like baton twirling, like whatever. And I can tell. Oh, like, you they, get real salty when I the baton so twirlers salty. aren't good. Where it's what? like, yeah, I mean, the girl at the end of Assassination Nation, she's not very good. No, she's trying, but no. <laughs> she's not She's not on tempo. <laughs> no, because in the reason that it bothers me so much is because you will hear about like people who do martial arts training, or if you're going to be in a Star Wars movie, they'll teach you how to use staff so that way you Mm -hmm. know how to use a lightsaber. And they will seldom put that sort of care for things like dancing or any sort of artistic athleticism Mm -hmm. because it is hard. It's really, really hard. And so when I watch Center Stage, I'm not watching it for the story. I mean, the story is fine. It is a little paint by numbers, but I care deeply about the dance in this, but I do also care deeply about the commentary it is willing to make about 
you know, elite systems. And mm -hmm. I think Stick gets a little bit more in your face about it because the character's a little bit more in your face. I mean, it's more of a, like a kind of heaving sport. Because mm -hmm. like, even if it is graceful, you still have to use a lot more upper body as oh, like yeah. a girl. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it, it, it's power versus grace kind of thing because, you know, the thing with ballet is part like it has to look effortless like there's mm -hmm. even a line in there where i can see you trying yeah he's like i can see like your attempt i don't yeah. want to see that i want to see the movement i mean honestly i think that that's just good advice for art mm -hmm. you sh like this this comes up a lot we were talking about this yesterday because um at, at work we were showing moulin rouge so lady marmalade played a lot yes and um we were talking about the songs and apparently everyone forgot that maya was on that song Everyone always forgets Maya's on that song. Everyone, well, Maya was like a thing for a few years, and unless you were there, you don't remember her. Which but, is such a bummer because she has like the sweetest little voice, and she she opens the song. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I I like everybody on that song. Good as but you should. The thing is, like with Christina, like Christina's putting in work, and like she's good at it. But you can tell Christina's working, mm -hmm. and even if she's really talented, I can hear her effort. And other singers sometimes it just sounds easier. Like that is that that's kind of a rule of of a lot of things. Like you can appreciate like the 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 the, the, pr the prowess, mm -hmm. like the 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 talent. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it just comes easier to other people. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. That that is that is a thing. That's how you that's how you separate like the top ten percent from the top one percent. Yeah, agreed completely. So this movie came out in the year two thousand. So we're a little past its twenty year anniversary, but. What context do you want to bring to the table for this film? This is in the year 2000. It is following the year of teen cinema, 1999. Oh, God, yeah. And we've covered context for this period quite a bit, but there's a few interesting things that I want to bring up that relate to this film. Mm -hmm. So as far as like alum is concerned, we've not spent a ton of time in this year. We've done Almost Famous. We've done Ginger Snaps. And we've done the aforementioned Bring It On. Mm -hmm. There's like horror stuff going on around this time. Like there's Urban Legend, Final Cut, Psycho Beach Party, Final Destination. Like there's mm -hmm. that. Just set that aside. That's, mm -hmm. not, that's not what we're really talking about right now. Mm -hmm. What I find really fascinating is, yes, this is a dance movie that we would get a lot more of in the 2000s. But this is kind of the early one. Mm -hmm. This is sort of the start of what you would see with Stomp the Yard and Step Up and save the last dance and honey and all these other like kind of fusion dance films where it's like someone learning about like the feeling of dance by getting one with the streets. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what they are. I mean, it is, it is. That's exactly what a lot of those movies are trying to do. <laughs> oh, Julia Stiles. We, we will return to you one day, but not this day. Yeah. And uh, we're four years out of you got served too. Mm -hmm. So this one kind of gets overlooked. I think it's because it just precedes it and because it is so much more like high society. But what I think is really, really fascinating about looking at this year and this movie as an example of it is also this year you've got stuff like, you know, we had Bring It On. We get Love and Basketball. We get Life Size. We get Center Stage. And this feels like we were at the precipice of the teen genre about to get a whole lot less white. Mm -hmm. We were so close. And then like American Pie happens and then it just tanks mm -hmm. what we think of with this genre because then you get there are not another teen movies. You're really like 
low quality schlocky sex comedies that become so much more of a priority than telling actual stories. It mm-hmm. becomes about hijinks. Mm-hmm. And like there's room for that, but that became Hollywood's priority to the point where they just shoved everything out unless it became a dance movie romance. Mm-hmm. Like the ones we'll see a, you know, a few years later after Mean Girls happens. Mm-hmm. And Mean Girls is going to kind of hit that reset button again. It's going to really give you that yeah. a shot in the arm. Mm-hmm. But like the Bush administration happens, 9-11 happens, a whole lot of things happen, and it tanks this potential. And I don't want to like just turn this into like sort of making a narrative that wasn't necessarily there, but like you can see it. Mm-hmm. Versus like what we got in 1999 versus this year, you can see white Hollywood teen movies starting to address race. Mm-hmm. And something that we will talk about a little bit more in depth, especially when we get to talking about Zoe Saldana's character, is that you can tell that center stage is trying to like address the race issue of Zoe Saldana's character being like the black ballerina in in the school. Brooklyn. But they don't want to call it out like to its face Mm -hmm. because the we the 2000s, everybody was a little a little, a little gun shy. They were a little skittish. They were like, do mm-hmm. I say black? Do I say African-American? I don't really know. Exactly. Like, so like you have her being like comforted by our, our gay black character mm-hmm. and they're just like, yeah, I know. I know. And yeah. they don't say it, but they're just saying, I know. Yeah. There's a lot of like unwritten acknowledgement in this and I wish the script would have had a little bit more gumption to actually just address the racism in the room. Mm-hmm. But I also understand it's the year 2000. That's also just not really the priority of the movie. There's a lot of plots in this movie that are just kind of presented and not left dangling, but not really worked on. Yeah, the script is, it's flimsy at best. It it would function much better as a TV show. And then BJ goes, yo, they're making a TV show out of this. I went, oh shit, really? Yeah, so a fun (laughs) fact for those at home who may not know this, um, on the film's 20th anniversary, they announced that a follow-up TV series is in development. Jennifer Caton Robinson, who you might know as the director of Do Revenge, is writing, directing, and executive producing the series. Uh, Lawrence Mark, who is the producer of the original film, is going to be executive producing. And the series is going to follow a new group of students at the American Ballet Academy, now run by Cooper Nielsen. Because that character has been present throughout the franchise. It makes complete sense to me because Cooper is played by Ethan Stifle, who's a legitimate... He's so talented. He's so talented. Um, He's an incredible ballet dancer and... An incredible choreographer. So it makes sense that that's going to be the new focus. Okay, but um, important question. Yes. Is Peter Gallagher there? Okay, so they have not announced Peter Gallagher as doing anything yet, but if Cooper is in charge, that makes me think that like Peter Gallagher has retired and he's just going to like, All I don't know, right. maybe he'll pop in randomly it's and a cameo be like, because look what you've done to my studio. Yeah, 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 I don't know. We'll I figure know. out. I, I like seeing Peter Gallagher in things like he popped up in Palm Springs that we watched when we had COVID earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, look at him. He still looks good. Still got a really good head of hair on him. Great eyebrows. Great eyebrows. He is absolutely the guy that like your mom will swoon after for like an age appropriate dude. But he's not like the Clooney's. He's not the like the popular guy. He's like, he's a little more like, that's my guy. Definitely. He's a little more personal. <laughs> and I don't know his kids' names, but I know that his kids are on TikTok and he does a similar like Martin Scorsese thing where like he'll randomly pop into TikTok videos with his kids and everyone's like, is that 
Fucking Peter Gallagher. <laughs> what, I want to imagine that Peter Gallagher comes in and he's like, I want to talk to you about cinema. <laughs> Peter Gallagher, esteemed, <laughs> esteemed cinephile like Martin Scorsese, just sitting there being like, here, let me talk to you about Birdman. <laughs> hey, and this is this is his second appearance on the show this year because he showed up in How to Deal. Yes, he did. So, you Small, know what? Smaller role, but yeah. Glad to have you back here, Peter. <laughs> yeah. But before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy November, prom party. We have a very uh, good month for you over on the Patreon this month. And by that, I mean we're doing Good Burger and Goodwill Hunting over on the Sadie Hawkins dance. It wasn't supposed to plan out that way, but I was like, you know what? Let's just fucking rock it. Let's go. <laughs> for our musical milestone mini episode, um, apparently Gucci Gucci by Cray Sean just went platinum. And BJ lost her mind about it because she's a, a very unique apologist for that song. So we're going to dive into Crayshon and kind of trashy white girl rap a la Kesha's TikTok and things of that ilk. We only have two more months left of My So-Called Life before we are finishing up there. So we're cruising on with that. In addition to all of our awesome, good bonus episodes that you're going to get over there, the Patreon will also have the monthly playlist, BJ's wellness newsletter, and of course, the suggestion box so that you can go ahead and just throw some of your favorite movies you would like to us to discuss out there. In addition to all of the things that we have in the back catalog that you can explore at your leisure. As always, if you're not able to support this month, we totally understand. Um, the world's in, in, a, in a state right now, so like we're not holding it against anybody, but if you have the means and there's not anybody else you haven't bothered about it yet, then recommend us to any like friends or family or whoever you think might like what we do and go ahead and leave us a review. I just learned this month that apparently you can leave comments on Spotify and I had a very fun time going through and reading a seven or eight months worth of those. <laughs> With all of that said, back to the movie. And if by chance you don't know what the synopsis of this film is and you couldn't piece that together from us talking about and around it, dense. here's the official synopsis. A group of teenagers from various backgrounds enroll at the American Ballet Academy in New York to make it as ballet dancers and each one deals with the problems and stress of training and getting ahead in the world of dance. Mm-hmm. And that's what we got. That uh, is correct. Yes. So this is presented like it's an ensemble cast. It's not an ensemble cast. This we do have a lead. One person and sort of like th there's priorities in the ensemble. Mm -hmm. Like Sergey, you do not matter. No, Sergey, he's here to be like, I want to go to San Francisco and hang out with my girlfriend. And we're like, girlfriend, okay. And then that's his purpose. Sergey, I can't believe you danced with that old lady. <laughs> I was like, that hot old lady? How dare you? <laughs> But our, our main character here is Jody, played by Amanda Scholl. Um, Amanda Scholl would go on to be in like One Tree Hill and Pretty Little Liars and Suits and a bunch of stuff. Um, but this is her first role. So what do you feel about the character of Jody? I do like that her like her dreams are consistent, but the way that she manifests her dreams changes over the course of the movie, which is which mm -hmm. is good. I think that that's really really understandable because mm -hmm. like the introduction we get to like the American Ballerina Academy is it's just like, Hey, some of you, you're really talented. That's how you got here. 
but you're not going to be good enough. Let's be honest. And so here's the thing is I've heard people criticize that scene because they're like, that's really harsh. That's really dream killing, blah, blah, blah. That's what happens when you get, get to, to this like level. elite level stuff like that. Yeah. Like, like it's you, you, most violinists are never going to play in like a concert orchestra and make a living out of that. That's what the fucking show Mozart in the Jungle was about. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be the best in the world in order to make a living at like what is ultimately like a very high class niche profession. Mm-hmm. And like the thing to consider is like there are ways to still be fulfilled in doing what you're doing. Like I think about it with theater all the time, right? When you are going to study theater, nobody like everybody says to you like, "Well, call me when you go to the Oscars." That like the amount of people who win Oscars that are actors is so like minuscule. Like we just saw this with the strikes. Like the people who are on strike, it's not that like everyone was on strike. Yes, but it was not like for the rights of these people who are getting million dollar paychecks for a movie. It's for the working actors who are doing seven different TV shows and mm-hmm. doing guest spots and that's how they make a living. Those are the people we Beloved have to Beloved character actors and people who have not even gotten to that level yet. Totally. Absolutely. And so like when you are somebody who wants to be a ballet dancer, like you can open a dance studio in a small town. You can choreograph dances for, you know, whatever's going on in your local. But to mm-hmm. be at this level, to be a part of a company this big is excruciatingly difficult. And there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, with tempering people's expectations oh yeah like, like it I mean, sounds they, they heartless even, they but... even say that they were like i'm not being cruel i'm just letting you know Absolutely. that's how it's gonna be and i think she finds a way to be really fulfilled like she's definitely like you could you could beat down mm-hmm. like mother gothel is gonna give you the sauce in this movie oh my god donna murphy i love you so much <laughs> she's just gonna be like you suck you're not wearing like the right uniform. Get your shit together. <laughs> Stop chewing gum. Get your hair out of your face. Yeah, just like she really like lays into these people, but like that's what her job is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. She she's Jody loves to dance, and she just mm-hmm. needs to figure out how she can dance and do what she loves and do this like new fusion style form of ballet. Yeah, that's sweeping the. Na- this is when we started getting like classical cl- crossover where people are like. Oh, wow. I like to mix like these hoity toity influences. Like, remember that band Bond? Where it was like four. No. There were these four girls who played cello and then they like mixed it with like dance music. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, where it's like, man, we're really starting to mix things. Remember Apocalyptica? Yes, I do. We're going to mix guys with cellos with metal. It's like we started to really incorporate like these things that were seen like not for the people and bringing it down for the people. The entire existence of Lindsay Sterling. Yes, like that was like ten years later, but yeah, but yeah, but exactly, yeah. <laughs> that was just that was just a thing that we started to do a lot during this period, and then you could name a string player that wasn't just Yo Yo Ma. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're totally right, though. And something that I like about Jody as well is that she is like presented throughout this entire movie as not having what it takes. Like her technique is not where it needs to be. You have a pretty face. She's, she's beautiful. She's got bad feet, um, which that basically refers to like the, the arches in your feet and whether or not you can have a straight line from your shin all the way down to your toes. Well, she can't fan her feet out far enough. Yeah. Yeah. Her turnout's not great, which like in watching that, I was like, Girl, my turnout's bigger than you. And then I was like, mm, well, I'm maybe also... not anymore. No, my turnout is really worse now. Like it's better now. Like I can make my feet go behind me. It's gross. It's fucked up. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna be 
needing mobility aids in the near future. We'll just get you some ankle braces. You'll my, be fine. My joints are falling apart now. Um, but I like that we have this character and her arc is not like, despite all of the things that they said that was that was wrong with her, she is perfect. And it's like, no, she found her niche. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't. You need to make it work. Yeah, she made it work. And what is what is going to work for her and what works for her is this other thing. <clears throat> and what works for her is this like new fusion style. And I love the fact that, you know, towards the end, after she's, you know, done her big thing and they're going to do her interview, not only does she never find out whether or not they were going to accept her Mm -hmm. into the ABA, but she takes control and is like, if you offer this to me, I might not have the strength to say no because it's been my dream. But I know in my heart of hearts, this is not what I should be doing, Mm -hmm. because if you do accept me, I'm going to be in the back row. I'm going to be in the chorus. And I'm better than that. You have to pay your dues Mm -hmm. before you get to be a lead. So she's like, so nope, I'm leaving and I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to be a principal dancer and I'm going to enjoy my life. And I love that for her Mm -hmm. because I know so many people that I've done theater with over the years, either through, you know, professional stuff in the Midwest or in college. And some of them have gone on to become professionals in leading performances in national tours and on Broadway. And I'm so fucking proud of them. Mm -hmm. And then I have some people who live in New York and they seem to be enjoying their lives, but they're not performing nearly as much as they would be if they lived somewhere else because they're playing people in the chorus line Mm -hmm. or they're playing, you know, random bits in like these very small theaters elsewhere and like that's cool and I'm glad that they are excited and fulfilled but I'm like oh my god if you lived in literally any other city in the world you would be a lead every single night yeah you would be the star of every single show you would be able to be so much more fulfilled but, you but again be in New York because that's where that's exactly where you hit like the peak level yes you want to be in New York because that's what you want to do and there's no shame in that people can be super happy doing that work. And like, that's what makes them happy. And that's why I like this movie because in my head I'm like, Oh hell no. I would never ever go to New York and spend my entire life being, you know, fat girl number five for my entire career. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. But in Cleveland, I could play really rich roles. I could play different characters. You could be the villain in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I could, I could be the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Like that, that is a role I would never play if I lived somewhere like New York. I would Mm -hmm. never get the chance to, do that and I'm very happy with those decisions that I've made but what's good for me is not good for everybody else some people they do want to be in the chorus if it means they're on Broadway and they don't fucking care yeah. and I love that Jody has this realization throughout this movie of like yeah that's not what's going to make me happy that's not what's going to make me feel fulfilled like that is ultimately I mean, there, her arc there's like this is not a movie about like acting performances but however like there's some very very good dialogue because it understands the system it's working within totally like there is um there, there's there's another line of like oh yeah like the stupid girls out there will blame like the casting director like oh it should have been me or they hate me because like i fucked up and now they're holding a grudge or whatever but the reality of it is like no you just weren't good enough Mm-hmm. You weren't good enough for the role in that moment. You can be, maybe, but you weren't that moment, and you can't blame the choreographer for that. Like that—that that is something that you don't see in in teen films, where it's like we just did Goodwill Hunting mm-hmm. on the Patreon, and it's like Will's a fucking genius, and it's like, oh, we're gonna foster you, you being a genius, you're a prodigy, versus you know that that, and that's what you typically see in like this kind of a film, where it's like even stick it, where it's like you always had the magic, you could have always done it. Mm-hmm. But you chose to throw it away versus this one where it's like, I'm sorry, you ain't shit. 
Mm-hmm. You might be able to be good, but you're not good enough in like the very rigid classic way we're doing this. And something else that I like weirdly enjoy is so like looking at something like Stick It, right? Stick It is about all of them just being like, fuck this system. This mm-hmm. system is fucking bullshit. Yeah. We're not playing by these rules anymore. And I think that is fucking awesome. Yep. Center Stage is about fuck this system. I'm out. Like, and I think that that's also something that is worth celebrating. We're going to build our own community. Yeah. Jody's like, like, I'm not going to try to like dismantle it from the inside out. She's like, no, this is bigger than me. And I'm not going to do that. Bye. mm -hmm. Enjoy having your whatever. I'm out of here. And I think that that's great. Like, that's also important is realizing sometimes these systems are bigger than us. And the best course of action is to say, fuck it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you even get alternate versions of that in this where you get to see the other people in this fake ensemble cast be really stoked to be in the ABA. Yeah. And like, okay, so we're, we're going to get there. Cause I want, I want to save her for last, but speaking of people just saying, fuck it. Uh, we have Susan May Pratt, who, uh, this is her second time being on the show. She was also in 10 things I hate about you. She is the one that, uh, David Crumholz has a crush on the Shakespeare girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she plays Maureen. Maureen is one of my favorite characters in this movie to think about because she kind of exists as the ballet trope. Yeah. She has uh, issues with disordered eating. She has an overbearing dance mom before we had the show Dance Moms. Yes. You're um, going to live out my dream. I'm going to mm-hmm. put you in dance from the age of like seven onward or whatever. And she's also got the thing that we see again in Stick It where, you know, she sees how the other side lives. And that is far more interesting for her than Freedom. anything else. Ballet Rumspringa. <laughs> Kind of. We're going yeah. bowling. I mean, like, I do. I do love that she bowls the way you bowl, though. Oh, with the with the extended leg. Yep. Yeah, I know. You bowl gracefully. I know. I can't help it. It's because that's how I throw a baton. Uh huh. So, like for like a like a long distance throw, is you extend your entire body out and you kick your leg back. So mm-hmm. that's how I bowl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I love the character of Maureen because when we first meet her, you can kind of see how brainwashed she is by this because it's mm-hmm. kind of all she's ever known. She's so mean to everybody because everyone's beneath her. She and I don't necessarily know that if it's that like because she thinks people are beneath her or if it's because she's just being honest because that's all she's ever been I mean, fed. there's that. There's also like maybe the, this idea of like their competition. I mean, there's a there's little only, bit. There's only like, you know, three people getting in for girls and three for boys or whatever. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. But like, you know, they have their little like conversation in their dorm after Jody finds out that they like are telling her like, hey, you're not good enough. You've got bad feet. You've got bad technique. And, you know, Ava's trying to be kind about it. And is like, well, yeah, you're a little far behind. And she's like being very nurturing. And Maureen's like, yeah, you're not good enough. And like, mm-hmm. she's being so matter of fact, and you could absolutely be like, that's really bitchy. Like, don't talk to people like that. But you, I just know Marine. Like, I know those types where it's like, no, this is, this is all you've ever known. Like, it doesn't even factor in your brain that you need to also worry about someone's feelings because no one has ever cared about your feelings. Yeah. And exactly. we see her realize that throughout this movie of like, I have a lot of shit I got to unpack because she's developing such bad habits for herself and she's not processing how bad they are for her because this is just a thing that you do. Um, I talked about this a little bit on the Stick It episode in regard to Baton, but I had a coach that was very intense and I love her dearly. But whenever I talk about the way 
that she would coach me or the things that she would say to me over the years. Like I watch like the, the, the light leave people's eyes because they're like, that's terrifying. She's just a real backbreaker. She's a ball buster. I mean, yeah, but she's good at what she does. And like, it's, I respond well to that sort of criticism. Like that's what I need, but not everybody can deal with that sort of thing. And like, that's fair. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's like, yeah, no, she would straight up tell me to my face. Um, unless you lose 25 pounds, you're going to get knocked on grace every single time. Just by, for the sheer fact that people think your body moving around is not graceful. And she wasn't saying that to hurt my feelings. She wasn't saying that to body shame me. She was saying that of like, this is a matter of fact of like, this is what the judges are going to do to you. Mm -hmm. So if you're cool with that, that's your choice. If you want to change that, you have to change that. And she was right. And my decision was, I don't fucking care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I took the point docking. I don't give a shit. You were so powerful. Because I would would make up, like, and that was the thing, is in my head, it's like, okay, well, if I know I'm going to get docked on grace points because, like, they're going to think that I'm, like, the fucking highest in Tippo and Fantasia, then I have to make up for it by having more powerful moves so then that way it evens the playing field. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's, when you know the obstacle that you're facing inside and out, you know how to overcome it. And for some people, yeah, they do take the other route and they do harm their bodies. And that's a real fucking shame. And I wish that isn't a thing that happened. And we could have an entire other conversation about the fucking fat phobia that exists inherently in performance spaces. Especially ballet. Especially. Oh, my God. Especially ballet. We have a fairly uh, small side character. I think her name is Emily. Mm -hmm. Where she's just like, Emily, you're so fat. And it's like, she's not. She's not. She's just too big for a ballerina at mm-hmm. this level apparently mm-hmm. it's it, yeah it's kind of infuriating how just intrinsic the the fat phobia is in in areas like ballet well, but I, I also I think eating disorders are more prevalent there than literally anywhere else aren't mm-hmm. they uh and men's wrestling yeah. like not like professional wrestling but like Gotta make weight wrestling. College wrestling. College wrestling. Where it's like you dehydrate yourself for like two days basically Mm -hmm. so that you can just get just below weight. Yeah, those are like the the two big ones. Did you you have boys in your your class where they had to make weight so they would just have a jug around where they were spitting in a bottle all day? Yes. Disgusting. Yeah. Heinous. It was was gross. Ew. Um, But like, like that's a very real thing. And the thing that I weirdly appreciate about Center Stage is that they're very matter of fact about the disordered eating of Maureen, where they acknowledge that it's a problem, but they don't present it like it's this very after school special thing because it's so common. Mm-hmm. And it normalizes it not in like a, hey, everybody has disordered eating. <laughs> like, but it's not just like that this kind is just of a regular facet of this world. Yeah, it doesn't stigmatize it, if that makes sense. So it's not normalizing it, but it is destigmatizing it. And I really, really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Maureen has this, this guy, Jim, that she really likes. And when she has kind of her aha moment, it's because Eric gets hurt. And her first reaction is like, damn, wish that were me. (laughs) And she's like, that's not a normal reaction. Like, so that's her aha moment. And she even, you know, tells Jim, like, did you like me because of me? Or did you like me because I'm a ballet dancer? And he's like, no, I liked you because you're you. And it's the first time someone likes her for who she is. Like Mm -hmm. she, her own mother doesn't like her for who she is. And her mom, oh my God. What a piece of work. What a piece of work. 
Um, because she is a very specific type of dance mom where she's not just an overbearing mom who is vicariously living through her child. She's also like changed her entire life to do this. Like she took a job. She's getting all the gossip on the, the, the instructors. She's learning about what people are saying behind the scenes about the other dancers. She knows how to, who to schmooze with at parties. Yeah. Like that is next fucking level scary momager shit. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. You're not helping your kids. You're I mean, being weird. Uh, this, is, this is where parents like, aside from the, like you're going to live my dreams for me kind of thing. This is them thinking that they're doing everything to set you up. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, a dancer's only got a career for 10 years, maybe 15 if you don't get hurt. Then you can enjoy your life. Right. Oh, my God. You got to use those peak years being a peak athlete, and then you can settle down at 30. Mm-hmm. And mm-mm. Nope. She, uh, she says, fuck that shit. I'm out, which I love, um, because – that is one of the hardest things a person can do mm-hmm. is especially when like they know that they're good. And I love, love the justification she gives to her mom of like, you didn't have the feet, but I don't have the heart. Mm-hmm. I love that. That is her goodwill hunting moment of like, I know that I could be the best ballerina in the fucking world. I don't want it. Yep. And I'm not doing it. And you can't make me. You shouldn't do something just because you're good at it. Exactly. Like if, if it's what you're passionate about and you're good at it, that's the winning combination. But y- you don't owe anyone shit. You don't. Um, and I'm going to repeat a point that we said on, on the Patreon in case people don't have it. But I pointed out Harmony being really tall. And it's like, just because you're tall does not mean you have to play basketball. And I haven't if, gotten that in a while. And if people your, are mad at you about it, fuck them. In your 20s, I think you get that more because of your proximity to college and high school. Mm-hmm. Now, like, that's once I got to, like, my later 20s, my, my 30s, people stopped asking, like, oh, did you play basketball? Because mm-hmm. it's just not a thing that I, first of all, I don't think I give off sporty energy. No. But also, just <laughs> I think you reach a certain age where people sort of stop thinking about that. But, um, yeah, you want, you want to know who's, like, really good at something? Maybe the best of all time and just chooses not to do it. Hmm. John Carpenter. You, that, okay, great point. Very, very good point. John, John Carpenter, Carpenter, the best horror director ever. One of the most consistently good filmographies for a director ever. And you try to talk to him about film and he goes, no, 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 no. I want to talk about basketball. I, I want to talk about video games and getting high. I want to get stoned. I want to make music. I don't want to direct shit. Fuck that. I want to sit at home. <laughs> No, he is an unbothered king. I love him so much. John Carpenter's the best. But no, you're totally right. Like, John Carpenter could be doing 10 million things. He's like, no. He could be doing Ridley Scott shit. (laughs) He doesn't want to. He he could be doing Hayao Miyazaki. He could be doing John Woo shit into his 70s and just be like, fuck it. I'm going to keep making movies. No, he doesn't want to. I love it. I love it. He's earned the right to sit at home and do nothing if he wants to because he Mm -hmm. put in the time. But also, you don't have to wait until you're like 70 to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. You can do whatever the fuck you want. I've It's taken me a very long time and a lot of therapy and a lot of healing to get to a place where I think the phrase wasted potential is a crock of shit. Like, sure, there are some people that you can apply that to that are just like, 
do nothing fucking wasteoids who are doing literally nothing but just laying on couches in their mom's basements and not applying themselves. One of those, sure. uh, one of those uh, 2000s PSAs where it's like the deflated <laughs> girl on the couch where it's like, this is you when you're high. <laughs> right. Like, sure. I'm sure. You can apply to that. But if you're somebody who like is very good at something, you just don't have the passion for it or you don't want to do it or you're just tired of the hustle. Cool. Don't fucking do it. Yeah. You're not wasted potential. You are protecting your peace, and I am very proud of you. Yeah. I mean, I'm a chronic underachiever, and you are a chronic overachiever, mm-hmm. and we have found common ground in this. Yeah. <laughs> we are. And we, we even each other out very nicely in that regard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and our third kind of like main character in this, like there are men in this movie. The, the boys, mo- more than most movies, the boys are there. To look pretty. The boys are there to look pretty and move the f- the story forward for women. They literally will prop the girls up. Literally. Yes. <laughs> like, not, not to knock, like, any of the guys who are acting in this movie. This movie's not about, again, it's not about acting. But they, th- th- this movie knows who its audience is. It's going to be girls. The guys are there. They've got tight butts. And they don't have the biggest personalities aside from just looking out for you. That's all you need. All of the men acting in this movie, and this I need specifically people- the boys. The Spe- men actually have more going on. The boys, don't. okay, yeah. So the boys in this movie, I mean this with all the love in my heart. They are all acting like they're in a Disney Channel original movie. Mm-hmm. Like they have kind of that like inherent aw shucks energy, yes. even when they're trying to be intense. Like a man should, you know, a, a guy he's seeing should care about your feelings, and I'm just like. Are you Ryan Merriman? Like, what's happening here? Like, that's that's the the vibe you're giving me. Um, but our our third main character is Zoe Saldana, who even in this role, you look at her compared to the rest of the cast. No shade to the rest of the cast, but it's like, oh, you're a fucking superstar. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got it. It's just one of those things where the opening credits are rolling. I'm like, oh, Zoe Saldana's in this, and you BJ just goes, it's her first role, and I go, shit, uh-huh. wow, okay. Um, it's so weird to think of her as being in three of the biggest franchises of all time. Technically four, if you really, really want to go there, because we have Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously. Yes. We have Avatar. Yes. We have Star Trek. Wow. That's the one that people always forget I forgot about. about that. And then also Pirates. And then Pirates. Yeah. Um, so technically she has four, like yes. huge franchises. Like I've never seen the Star Trek movies really, but like thinking of the, 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 the three that I know her from, it's like. She's under a bunch of things you couldn't even pick her off the street most of the time. Because mm-hmm. it's like people know her as green and blue. Yes. So like, kudos to you. You're being a chameleon. Mm-hmm. But this is like such an interesting star making performance, considering her face is not what sells her in most things. Right. It's her talent. Right. It's her talent. Like, sh- oh my god, she's so good. Um. So there was an article in 2020 for the 20th anniversary on Refinery 29 called "Why Zoe Saldana's Big Center Stage Moment Feels Bittersweet 20 Years Later." It says that she may have been the one of the only like hardcore non dancers. Like, she obviously has ballet training, and she's mm-hmm. done all of these interviews since then. Um. There's this really beautiful one i think it was through vanity fair but don't quote me on that um i've only ever seen like the clip of it where somebody gives her a pair of ballet shoes to talk about it and she immediately starts smelling them because she's like oh this is my first love i just love the smell of ballet shoes Mm -hmm. and it's so sweet because like you can see how much she loves to dance um but this article says she may have been one of the only non-dancers in the main cast of center stage but the sheer power of her performance made her its most unforgettable character she was only 22 years old when the film hit theaters 
in 2000, and it was her feature film debut as the talented but hard-nosed dancer Eva. She has her own headaches in it because she's got skills, but it's hard for her to climb the ranks because her natural gifts also come complete with a stank attitude. Ballet is about structure and order, and Eva has a hard time falling in line. Her classmates don't know what to make of her. Her instructors are put off by her refusal to make herself smaller to fit in. In one striking scene, Eva loses her cool after instructor Juliette Simone, Donna Murphy, endlessly berates her friend Jody Sawyer in front of the whole class. The outburst brands Eva the Academy's resident troublemaker, and the reputation follows her during her tenure at the school. She's marked and not in the good way. And so we do need to acknowledge that as the the sole like woman of color in this company mm-hmm. the fact that she's also the one that's branded as like mouthy and can't follow rules like there's there's racism to that like, oh yeah they're just is. i mean we see that during the final performance when all of these like people are just aghast that it's like why is this black girl on my stage right now what's so i thought f- it was supposed to be a white girl and what's so funny is that like they clearly have lines in there where they're like i thought it was supposed to be maureen so that it, it you know seems like oh the issue here is it's that it's a little more specific and yeah less, that it's uh, not maureen specifically systemic. and not systemic but then maureen's mom is like what is that trash doing on stage yep. and you're like wow you said the quiet part out loud you racist bitch yep. okay yep um, um, also for that performance, I specifically love that like they have this the setup in this shot where it's like this guy is walking very slowly mm-hmm. and gracefully between Sir like <laughs> between like this cascade of people down like this this fucking soul train fucking line of ballet dancers, mm-hmm. and that shot doesn't look like that from this co- audience that only looks that way on screen for the camera. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like oh you're not even getting like that visual. <laughs> But I don't think you can have a man march out into the audience in terms of like ballet screen time. I don't think the stage is built that way. No, it's not. Um, it, it does not work on the proscenium. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Refinery, you know, but this Refinery article also acknowledges it by saying, but Eva's foul mouth and short temper aren't the only reason she sticks out like a sore thumb at the Academy. She's also the only black woman in her class. We know it. She probably knows it. But no one ever discusses it. Without ever being explicitly mentioned, the fact of her race just hangs in the air. No one even remotely familiar with the ballet scene would be surprised to see the lack of diversity play out in center stage. Yes, there have been a number of exceptional black women putting their stamps on the style. The contributions of dancers like Catherine Dunham, Pearl Primus, and Virginia Johnson can't be ignored, but ballet has been excluding people of color for a very long time. When the art form originated during the Italian Renaissance and became popularized throughout the rest of Europe, almost all of its principal dancers were white. Global anti-blackness barred black dancers from joining the ranks with prejudice and unfounded scientific beliefs about the disruptive nature of the black body underscoring the Eurocentric ideas of beauty and utility being enforced throughout the dance world. And so, like, that is a very big thing. I know we talked about this in our Stick It episode as well, Elite artistic athletics is so fucking white because oh, yeah. it's also so fucking expensive. You know what else we talk about that in? Hmm. Ice Princess. Oh, yes, we do. Absolutely. I, for fucking figure skating. Yeah, because it's expensive to be involved with anything above like, you know, a, a local or like a minor mm-hmm. league kind of kind of level of stuff like that. Because like the amount of time even that you're going to be spent training means that you don't have time to work a job. Mm hmm. Because like BJ, when you were when you were a twirler, how many how many hours a day did you practice? Like at your peak level? Oh my god. Um, I mean, I did. I often would do fundamentals in the morning before school, 
Um, and then I would have practice for like two to three hours every night on the weekends. It was all day. It was all fucking day. Mm -hmm. Like I would do 10, 12 hour practices on the weekends. Yeah. Um, and that was my life from like age seven until my twenties. <laughs> exactly. So it doesn't leave you a lot of time for other things. No. And yet I was still doing theater and at some points had a job because well, yeah, cause you know why you were doing drugs. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> you had a lot more energy to do stuff during like, some of those years. It's like, how did mothers in the 1950s do everything? They were all on speed. How uh -huh. did you do this in high school? I was on drugs. <laughs> uh huh. Fucking crazy how that works. Yeah. Wild. But, um, no, like you could say what you will about like her being a non dancer compared to everyone else in this movie. But like, she makes up for it by clearly being a better actor than everybody else in the movie. Oh my God. It's like not even a question. This, 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 this is your whole thing with dancing where it's like, yeah, I'm not the most graceful, but I'm going to have the most powerful moves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just, you, you make sure that you're on the same level. And honestly, as like a film mm -hmm. and not just like as watching dance, she clearly stands out because she's an actress. Yeah. And her dancing's fine. Like they don't ever give her choreography. She can't do. No, no, no. So she looks in, like, like it's very it's seamless. slow. <laughs> it's very graceful. Like Peter Gallagher's choreography is very traditional mm -hmm. and she's great at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. Um, so going back to this refinery article, uh, color didn't truly begin to trickle into Western ballet until the 20th century. Raven Wilkinson was one of the first black women to be accepted into a ballet company in 1930. 50, but because of rampant racism, she and others had to literally paint themselves white to avoid stirring up controversy. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. fucking nuts. To make matters worse, black ballerinas almost always were relegated to the background as their peers nabbed lead parts in Swan Lake and the Nutcracker. Our sole black ballerina in center stage experiences a similar hardship. After finding herself on the bad side of the Academy's director, Jonathan Reeves, Peter Gallagher, Eva is plopped into the core, destined to fade into the blur of faces while Maureen Cummings, Susan May Pratt, floats across the stage as the star of the show. When Maureen suddenly decides to quit ballet hours ahead of her big performance, Eva deftly steps in to fill the gap to the dismay of her instructors. Once on stage, however, our resident rebel shines. The combination of perfectly executed technique and a flawless emotional expression makes Eva a shoo-in for a coveted spot in the American Ballet Company. Our resident rebel gets her happy ending. But in reality... The upward mobility of black ballerinas is a much rarer occurrence. Deborah Austin's 1982 contract with the Pennsylvania Ballet made her the first black ballerina to become a principal dancer at any major American company. 1982. And she paved mm -hmm. the way for the likes of Aisha Ash, Misty Copeland, and Copeland famously became the first black prima ballerina in the American Ballet Theater's 75-year history in 2015. Well, and Misty Copeland is a fucking bad bitch. She is so good. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I watch Misty Copeland dance and like I'm talking about it right now and I'm getting goosebumps. She's mm -hmm. so talented. She's <laughs> unbelievable um, because she's, oh, she's got power and she also, oh, she's so beautiful. Um, but you know, that's something that I wish had been more explored in center stage because it isn't just that Eva is not willing to fall in line with the rest of these girls. She's also got the additional layer of she's not white well, like, to contend with. One of like the first things she does to like ruffle feathers is just that like we have a strict dress code, black leotard, pink tights. And it's like, oh, yeah, because that'll make what will make her blend in. So what's really funny about that scene, too, especially in the year 2000. Um, did you know that, uh, quote unquote, nude tights for black dancers did not exist then? 
No, I believe that. Yeah, they didn't fucking exist yet. It's only been in the last, um, I'm pretty sure like five years that there has been a mass manufacturing of nude tights or like nude illusion tights that are available for black people. I mean, you see that. It was like Band-Aids. Yeah, like I was about to say Band-Aids or even just like emojis. Yeah. Like, like it's this so. This is all a fairly recent addition. It's so wild because you think about like the history of dance and it's like, you know, black leotard pink tights and it's like, that's going to look ridiculous for her. Are you shitting me? Like, come on. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's so ridiculous. We have the same issue a lot in baton because some baton shoes, they come usually in white, nude and black. And like, I preferred nude shoes. I the, I just thought that the, like it gave you a nice, like seamless line. It was really, mm-hmm. really nice. But whenever we would do core routines, our costumes nine times out of 10 would have pants and then we would have like black pants and black shoes. And we did that specifically because we were one of the most diverse cores in the entire like industry of baton. So we couldn't have everybody in skirts and nude tights and nude shoes because we had black women and like that looks crazy on them. We're not going to do that to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone was always like, Oh, your team always wears pants. What's that about? And it's like, did you think about how weird shoes would look? On like we would have some people with just random beige shoes on skin that's not beige that's fucking dumb. Mm-hmm. I loved my team. We were so we were we were so good about that kind of shit. Razzle dazzle, <laughs> razzle Ah oh, god, but like speaking of shoes, can we talk about like the shoe destroying scene? Oh my god, it gives me so much joy. Okay, talk about it. All right, so. If you are on TikTok, you might already know this because uh, ballet destruction videos are extremely popular ASMR videos because ballet shoes, especially point shoes in particular, they are custom to your feet. So everybody has different ways of destroying them cracking them, taking out the the bottoms, sewing the the wrap the way that you want it to be like the ribbon. You put um, uh you put scars across the bottom so you get better grip. Yep. We that, we, we did that with shoes in marching band and Yeah, stuff. we did that for baton. What like the easiest one for baton and but there is it's like the same material that you would use on like a skateboard deck will often be at kind the sandpaper. It's kind of sandpaper. Yeah, it'll be like at the entrance of a door. So if you don't know what that's for, it's to uh, let people who are using like like walking sticks that are blind, like to let them know you're about to walk through an entrance, which is cool. So it's, you know, it's it's great. It's mm-hmm. it's it's accessibility. Um, but we would use those grips to shred the bottom of our shoes because all you would have to do is just put your shoe in your hand and just kind of like run it over the grip a few times and it would shred down the bottom of the shoe so fast and like it was the quickest way to break in my shoes. Oh, so good. So every time I see one of those, all I think about is like, I just want to want to break in a shoe. This is your version of smelling ballet shoes. Yeah, kind (laughs) of. Um, but yeah, so like, I love that one of the first things we see is this moment that is so hyper specific to ballet of breaking shoes and because some of them running it over water, people are setting things on fire to kind of like fuse the fabric mm-hmm. that they shredded. Like, they're oh, taping I love their it. Toes. They're just doing everything in this scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of like the, the toes thing, Zoe Saldana has a move in this movie that you were like, oh, fuck. Yeah. She's so cool. Uh-huh. It's when she, uh, she gets yelled at and she leaves class. So she goes and smokes a cigarette, mm-hmm. and then she puts out that cigarette by going on point on it in ballet shoes. So fucking slick! It's so fucking cool. It's so cool. It's got <laughs> such like conflicting energy of like 
Beauty and Grace, bad girl. I know. Oh, it's so good. And uh, I mean, okay, so she does smoke like throughout this entire movie. And it's an appetite suppressant. Th- so there's that. It is an appetite suppressant and they never acknowledge it. And yes, we all know smoking is bad. We know smoking mm-hmm. is bad. But also it looks cool. <laughs> that's the I, biggest problem. I hate how cool smoking looks. <laughs> like that's and the like, big problem. And it's not like you can smoke like, oh, I smoke weed. And it's like smoking weed doesn't look as cool as smoking cigarettes though. No, it doesn't. It doesn't like smoking weed it's like yeah i'm smoking weed smoking cigarettes it's just kind of like i'm on my break <laughs> <laughs> like it's so much more casual <laughs> yeah. and like in a weird way i'm kind of glad that they don't really acknowledge the fact that she smokes because again it's an appetite suppressant it's really common in these circles so like a lot of the stuff that's kind of taboo and like <gasps> in other teen movies is just so matter of fact in this movie mm-hmm. and i kind of respect it for that like I don't know how how this movie plays to a lot of people, but I feel like it it didn't get good reviews. It's got like a 40% or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like this is a – it's a movie for teens that is so much more elevated above normal teen fare. I agree. And uh, another article that I want to reference, this one is at Shondaland. Um, And it's 20 years after its release, Center Stage still holds up. Unlike any other teen rom-com of the late 90s and early 2000s, this, is, this film is still worth a watch. Okay, we're, get, we're getting a little uh, ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. Uh, subheader on this article. Sure. Um, but I really like what uh, this, this writer has to say. It says, look, films from 20 years ago don't always hold up. She's All That basically tells girls that they need to be beautiful and popular to be worthy of a guy's time. Drive Me Crazy is more or less the exact same premise, but switched around to focus on making over the guy. Whatever it takes, try to update the classic Cyrano, but in a terrible way. And 10 Things I Hate About You, well, it has no flaws, but you understand what I'm trying to say. I respectfully disagree. (laughs) A good portion of early 2000s rom-coms for teen films had their moments back then, if only because they were fun and lightly reflected the teen experiences. But in 2020, they don't really hold up. Center Stage, however, does. Not just because of the fashions, which have somehow come back around to being in vogue, but the movie itself is just as great. So great, they're turning it into a TV series. Throughout the film, Jodie struggles to find her voice, both on the stage and off. She allows herself to be taken in by bad boy choreographer Cooper and believes it to be something more than just what it is, a casual hookup despite their visible electricity. This upsets Charlie as he has made it clear that he has feelings for Jody, but it won't allow him to cloud his judgment on making it in the ballet world. This is your classic love triangle, but not the only love triangle in the film. Maureen, a dancer who has received nothing but praise for her talent her entire life, is struck between her mother and the path that's right for her. Maureen's mother is a failed ballerina who wanted nothing more than to own the stage herself, and since she never got it, she pushes her daughter to be the ballerina she couldn't. Nancy is like Maddie, as in Maddie Ziegler, as in the girl from the Sia videos. Mom on Dance Moms before that was even a thing. Nancy weasels her way into a job at the company, so not only can she gain rapport with the instructors to gain favor and insight into how to help Maureen, but it allows her to constantly keep tabs on her daughter. This toxic behavior is unfortunately still prevalent today. Her mother's interference tragically drives Maureen to become resentful. She isn't allowed to have her own life and figure out who she is during the very pivotal years of adulthood. And for Jody, the final showcase is the pinnacle of what she's been working toward the entire film. She's always envisioned dance as by the book, nailing the choreography in perfect sync, knowing your mark, blending in with the rest of the group. And as the film progresses, like with the scenes in the salsa club, she feels the music instead of worrying about getting it right. And in the dance class she takes where she sees the other dancers just give it their own flair instead of formality, Jody realizes that dance isn't about structure. It's about passion and knowing that movement is more than just a collection of steps. It's a story. It's a conversation. And it needs feeling, 
or it falls flat. So I have a couple things to say in there. Other One, than you other don't than like ten things I hate about you. you, but that's usual. People know how I feel about that movie. So I love the idea that like, oh yeah, some of this fashion is coming back around. I was like, oh, you mean like how the teens are trying are about to destroy their arches with ballet flats? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> um, but two, can we can we just talk about like the the, the whole final dance scene? And how Cooper's so petty. Because, like, we haven't really talked about Cooper. Like, they have a one-night stand. Jody doesn't know it's a one-night stand. He does, and the drama. But I think this movie is mostly absent of, like, teen romance and teen drama. Like, she ends up with, like, Charlie at the end or whatever, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's so not what the movie's about. Right. And I think that it holds up a lot better because it's not stuck in such fairly trivial high school stuff. Like, you're out in a more functioning adult world. It's, it's basically a college movie. Yeah. So I want to talk about the dance, but I do want to talk about the Cooper and Jody thing because when I was a kid seeing this movie when I was like 10. Mm-hmm. Um, You're like, fuck him. I hated Cooper. I was like, how dare he? They slept together. I mean, how dare he go in for a kiss at the end of the movie? But she's just, she, 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 has, she stands aground. Good. She does. Good for her. But I just remember hating him. And I was like, I can't believe this guy. They, they hooked up. They're supposed to be together. What a jerk. And as an adult, I'm like, oh, Jody, honey, cut the hint. Oh, no. Oh, he's not secretive about it No. At all. And that's the thing is like, he's not leading her on at all. Like they have that one night stand and it's. He literally gets up and like checks his messages and walks away while she's laying in bed. Yeah. It's like very clear that this was casual and it's just like, oh, baby. But it's, you you know it's her first she doesn't know these things you it's a canon event we can't interfere <laughs> you gotta learn exactly somehow so um yeah i want to talk about this final dance number so we already talked about peter gallagher's uh very classic very ballet. very traditional very safe not 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 breaking a lot of new ground just, uh, just it's just beautiful a, an old standard done well yeah it's beautiful so he has his then cooper's like we're gonna do some fusion we're gonna do some wild ass shit <laughs> aside from this just being like such a fucking like dick move to be like we're gonna air out a whole lot of ballet industry personal drama fucking on stage cooper was doing the is this play about us like before anyone else good for you (laughs) so aside from that i want you to think about a a, a different world here where eric who is very gay doesn't get injured Riding a motorcycle. He has to ride a motorcycle and simulate like passionate ballet sex. Okay, like, so there's absolutely a part where he's just, like <laughs> Cooper's instructing him to be like, no, it has to be like sex. Hold it like this. Put your pelvises together, and he's just like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> especially when you think about that. And I also love so the guy who plays Cooper, in addition to being a, a just remarkable dancer, he is legitimately like a motorcyclist. Like yeah. that's his motorcycle. He I mean, you likes see him riding around on the city streets yeah he knows how to do what he's doing he's a bad boy I like, he's got his soft eyes but he wears a leather jacket and rides a motorcycle i want nothing more than for someone to be able to tell me that like oh yeah we absolutely included this because once we found out he rode motorcycles we're like that's cool Let's he's got to ride that. a motorcycle on stage it's so good because he shows he's a bad boy of ballet it's so good and like they're doing dance moves off the motorcycle oh god it's so great there's so many things like i love the uh like you unwrap her by pulling like a single strand of shred of fabric and like that dress reveal uh-huh. oh, oh it's so good it's such classic. a good move like there's some slick like such good choreo charlie charlie ends up pulling off the move that he didn't think he could pull off mm-hmm. he does that little spin thing yeah it's very very nice like, i don't know it's just a very dazzling final performance that i have not seen in other teen movies i've not 
Okay, great. I've never seen like Save the Last Dance or Step Up, but I've seen scenes. You've seen from the dance movies. from Save the Last Dance. Oh, of course I have. <laughs> Who hasn't? Dance I've is seen so bonk. scenes <laughs> from those movies. And I think that those are movies about chemistry and mm-hmm. passion mm-hmm. and how these two people can connect. Mm-hmm. This one is about fucking choreography and it shows. Yeah. And it fucking rules. Like I I read some reviews from when this movie came out, and so many people hated that dance they were like we get it it's like a rock ballet it's not regular ballet it's like cool ballet it's a rock ballet it uses michael jackson right it uses michael jackson and jamiroquai yeah. like please call years yourself. before napoleon dynamite we open with jamiroquai we end with jamiroquai hell yeah we do hell yeah <laughs> but like in watching that dance now i'm like no this dance is really well done and like that's very interesting and very fun like mm-hmm. Y'all were just being haters because you wanted to be haters. Right. You all wanted traditional ballet in your traditional ballet movie, apparently, Mm -hmm. and not something bodacious. I do love the dance class scene, though, when she is just like doing moves because they feel good and it's fun. I love those kinds of dance classes. They're my favorite dance classes to take. Thrust it. (laughs) I mean, kind of. Only no one's screaming at your your vagina. No, (laughs) thankfully. Thrust it. Thrust it. One day we'll do showgirls. It'll be a spectacular time. I know. That'll be very fun. Oh, my God. It'll be the most trash and the greatest. Ah, Verhoeven. What a maniac. I love him. (laughs) But it's like it's such a fun performance. Everybody in the ballet is having a fun time. It's entertaining to watch. It is different. Like, I would absolutely watch Cooper's Company, like, do weird ballet stuff. I think that's great. Doing, like, these fucking fusion ballet things where... It's got more maybe in line with like a Gene Kelly number. Yeah. Like, like like classic like show tunes from Broadway. Like one of my favorite singers is Kate Miller Heidke from Australia. And I've been listening to her for over a decade. And how I got hooked on her is because she's trained in opera and then she writes pop music but then randomly has like operatic riffs. And like, mm-hmm. that is so cool to me. Like, I love that kind of fusion. Did you know Pat Benatar is a classically trained opera singer? I did know this. She is. Yeah. But like, yeah, just take that influence and do something else with it. Yeah. I think that stuff's great. Yeah. So yeah, I love the dance. I think that, I think the dance is really cool. I love when they're all in red at the end. Like, I just think it's, it's just nice. It's visually striking. This is some singing cool. in the rain kind of shit. More yeah. Than it is it's really cool. I like it. It's a good, it's a good dance. Uh-huh. People were just being haters in the year 2000 because they had to be edgy contrarians for the sake of being edgy contrarians. I mean, this is the arrow that this is, well, this is the year where that's going to start. Yeah. That's going to really pick up steam in the 2000s starting yeah. at year one. Yeah. 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 Um, but I will make a, a slight, slight correction. This movie doesn't end on Jamiroquai. I mean, I know it doesn't, but like this it basically movie, does. This movie. Ha- okay, we will talk about the music though. Okay. So th- there's too many more songs in this movie. Like Candy. Uh, so we have Candy, which, you know, that's her like big introductory single, which, you know, I like Candy. I think it's cute. And then you have the most generic pop ballad of the this kind of era where we just loved twinkly, sappy, toothless songs like this. Yep. Yep. We we loved songs like this during the like the late nineties and early two thousands. This is her highest charting song. I know. I don't know why. I don't either. I think she has better songs than this, but whatever. Not like this movie was even a huge hit. It did Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, it was on uh the Billboard Hot One Hundred for sixteen weeks. Sure, why not? <laughs> like that's a long ass time. But but more importantly, the credits start to roll in this movie, 
and a song starts playing and I go, is this a third Mandy Moore song? And BJ goes, no, this is a band called PYT. <laughs> and I'm like, why does it sound terrible? Okay, so. Like, does it normally sound this bad? Like, why is the movie version, like, really tinny? Like, they set a speaker up across the room and then just held a mic on the other side of the room. <laughs> so this is the thing that I can't figure out. I don't know if just, like, our, our rental wigged out at the end or if it has always been like this, but the song We're Dancing by PYT, which is a banger, if you ask me, Sounds like it was recorded through a tin can and then there's a string connecting it to another tin can and then they put that against the wall in the sound booth yeah. in the end credits. It sounds like ass the and I don't are know. so bad. It's so weird and I'm like, what is this It's like version? mega compressed. It's like you're listening through like the worst like generation one Apple <laughs> iPod head to earbuds like it's so fucking bad yeah this is absolutely like something this was recorded off the radio and put directly into a movie like and I don't sounds, know why it sounds like Cause, shit cause like we had this moment where it was like BJ goes oh I love this song and I'm like why does it sound like this and she goes no, no, it didn't always sound like this. I'm like, or did it? And you just listened to like a shitty boombox or like shitty headphones. She's like, no, I need to know. And we found on YouTube. No, through YouTube compression, it sounds better than this. Yeah. So, so I, have, I don't know why it sounds like this in the movie. I don't know. So if you rewatch this, please let us know. Does your version of Weird Dancing by PYT also sound like ass at the end of this movie? Or was it just our rental being weird? We, I don't know. We don't know. Because every other version of it sounds great. But also, uh, it's very difficult to find Weird Dancing by PYT on YouTube because because, um, as we all know, PYT, very famous song by Michael Jackson. What else is Michael Jackson famous for? Fucking dancing. Yep. So if you type, we're dancing PYT, do you know what you get? A hundred videos of Michael Jackson or people dancing to Michael Jackson. Yep. Uh, so it took a while to find that. But yeah, no, the song is great and wonderful. And uh, I shockingly um, immediately knew all of the words the second it started playing because it just unearthed that memory from the deep recesses of my brain. Yeah. <laughs> But with all that being said, Harmony, Center Stage is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? We had to end this with the end credits, didn't we? Mm -hmm. it seemed appropriate. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, recency bias. And we're dancing. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a yes. I was not so sure about this one when we got uh, when we were off to the races. Mm -hmm. It was a little a little slow. Mm -hmm. um, it was a little dry, and I was not too sure. I was I was talking to a friend of ours, Mr. William Bibiani. He's like, I don't know about this one. It takes itself a little seriously compared to other dance movies, but I think that works for me mm -hmm. because this is a very serious form of dance, mm -hmm. and you have to establish that it's fucking serious in order to break it down. Mm -hmm. So, no, this is like just really well made. Nice. Um, I love the dance. I love watching the dance routines itself. I could have done with a few more, maybe. Yeah, same. I could have absolutely. I would have loved another dance class scene. Oh my yeah. god, give me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, that's what the movie's about. Mm -hmm. So like, give me a little. Give me a little bit more. Give me a little give bit me, more. Give me what I paid for. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, like it's good. It does everything right. I think it prioritizes everything that it should for a movie like this. And could it be better? Like, yeah, the acting could be better, but that's not what you're watching this movie for. There, nope. That's it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I'm glad to hear that you liked this one. Um, and I'm also glad to have revisited this and still enjoyed my time with it because mm -hmm. you never know. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, was this actually good or was I just 12? <laughs> well, I don't love it as much as I love Ice Princess. Well, yeah. For competitive, like, high stakes. I, is Ice Princess effort. still, like, is that the tops for you of this, like, genre? I just really love it so much. <laughs> I mean, I don't love it as much as Stick It either. Mm -hmm. 
but it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Those are just better. Okay. Like in terms of like elite level sports movies about women. Mm-hmm. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky at This Ends Up Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor or at Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what musical artist would you like people to check out this week inspired by Center Stage? So this is someone that you actually showed me in bed like two nights ago. Um, Harmony it, refuses to get TikTok, so I just curate her, an FYP for her. Yeah, it works for me. <laughs> I love this because um, I just I t- t- TikTok's very bad for my brain, and I know that, so that's why I don't get one. Mm-hmm. So the person I'm shouting out this week, um, I could have gone in a few directions with this one, but but the way I decided to go in with this one is a uh, a rapper named Akintoya. Who BJ was like, look at this guy. He's got like a full band. Yeah. And I was like, he's sick as fuck. That shit's awesome. I mean, that's what everyone thought that was super, super cool about the roots, where it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, look, they're a rap group, but they have a band. Mm-hmm. And like that, that's why everyone gravitated towards them because it's a fairly uncommon thing. But no, he's so good. He's so good. I've been listening to him a lot over just like the last like 36 hours. And I'm immediately like, yeah, no, I want, I want more people to listen to this guy. I think he's super fucking talented. Um, he can get political. He can get really fun. Like, the music itself is also really, really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, immediate fan. Uh, he released an album just this month called Bombs Like Barack. <laughs> uh-huh. Holy shit. That's awesome. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, dude's, dude's not afraid to fuck, <laughs> fucking get like that. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think that he's definitely worth checking out. I haven't heard anything by him that I don't dislike yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, there you go. Tight. Akatoya. Yeah, check out Bums, Bums Like Barack if you want to go with the most recent release. Nice. <laughs> All right, y'all. We will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. and you're a great choreographer, but as a boyfriend, you kind of suck. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.